This is the Radically Christian Crosstalk Podcast, Episode 15. I'm your host, Wes McAdams, and on today's show, Sam Dominguez, James Sumners, and I discuss the spiritual benefit of sorrow. The sponsor of today's episode is Campaign Capitol Hill, which is a grassroots effort by Churches of Christ aimed at raising awareness in the Brotherhood on the fine line between politics and religion, preaching the gospel to our nation's leaders, focusing on repentance and God's standard of morality, and reaching lost souls with the saving grace of Jesus Christ. You can find Campaign Capitol Hill on Facebook at facebook.com slash campaigncapitolhill or on their website at campaigncapitolhill.com. There you'll find more information on how to join the march for God's word. And now let's jump right into our discussion. There's a time to be sad and there's a time to to mourn the things in our lives. But but I mean again the Christian with Christians many times we want to just say, well, well, okay, I shouldn't feel this way because because well, I mean I should have joy. And um, you know, blessed are, I mean but Jesus tells us blessed are those who mourn. Now, the fruit of the spirit is joy. And just because I'm mourning doesn't mean I've lost my joy. It just means that I'm mourning. Right. I mean, uh, Jesus mourns mourned his the loss of his friend, but his mourning. I mean, and he he cried, and of course he gets past that because he he knows that there is hope. He knows that there's hope, and he knows what's coming, and he knows why he died in the first place. Uh, and so do we. But but at the same time, we still have to allow ourselves to go through the time of mourning. Um, whether it's for our own sins or for others. Well, I loved what Wes said the other day um, that uh, you know our happiness depends on what happens, but our joy is about our hope. It is what we understand to be uh, what God's will is and what He's promised to do and how He's fulfilled those promises for us in the past and how He will in the future again. And it it <clears throat> it helps me to recognize when I think about it in those terms that there are things that I can be unhappy about. There are things that will cause me to be unhappy. And sometimes that will be for a longer period of time than, than people might be comfortable with. And that's okay. So long as it doesn't lead me to forget about my joy Mm -hmm. and it doesn't lead me to make decisions based on my unhappiness instead of decisions based on my joy. And it's not antithetical to be, unhappy about a situation or unhappy about a circumstance that you find yourself in while still cognizant and making all of your decisions based on the joy that you have of your salvation. But we we very often, because we're not <laughs> being in control of our emotions, we're instead letting our emotions control us, we say, oh, well, now I'm unhappy, and we create this cascading effect where, well, now I'm going to make a decision based on my unhappiness, which makes things worse, which makes me more unhappy, and we just spiral ourselves down out of control. And I think a lot of people don't really choose to examine the sin in their lives and try and then make the appropriate decision based on that examination because they know that if they start feeling unhappy or upset about what they find, they're going to make decisions based on that. You know, and and maybe I'm going in a different direction, but just... The thoughts we, we that, that, that we're throwing. <laughs> Maybe it'd be a, a little tangent, but you know, it just occurred to me that that our joy happens because because we realize the depth of our sorrow, and that it, unless we do realize how sorrowful mm-hmm. something is, we cannot appreciate the joy that we have in Christ. We can't appreciate the hope that we have in Christ. Okay, so you know, we could talk about that as it relates to death. I mean. 
what good is it to have salvation from from sin and death if we don't realize just how horrible sin and death is? What what good is it to realize what Jesus has done for us if we write it off as well, okay, whatever. You know, if if, if death is not a huge blow, if it is not a horrible thing, then salvation is not a great thing. It they have to they have to be equally one horrible and one great. And the same is true with sin. And I think that's one reason we don't appreciate grace and forgiveness the way that we should, because we don't we don't loathe sin the way that we should. And when we don't loathe our own sin, well then we don't appreciate being forgiven of it. If it's just it's no big deal. It's just something I struggle with. We use that phrase a lot. But um, you know, if if we just write it off as as no big deal, well then Grace is no big deal. Salvation is no big deal. Until we embrace the sorrow of it, until until the truth convicts us of sin, and we we stand before God before God, uh, we stand before <laughs> God exposed and humbled and convicted and guilty, then we can't appreciate Him washing our sin away and say, "You're justified. You're forgiven." Well, I mean, it's it's like I've talked about before. If we don't feel the burden of our sin, then we're not going to appreciate having that burden lifted from us. Absolutely. And there's a whole lot of us who, when you know, we'll sit in the worship service and we'll see someone come forward wanting to repent or just wanting the prayers of the congregation. And I have often sat and thought, what is it in my life that would have to happen to make me come forward and ask for the prayers of the congregation or, or repent of something. And I've, I've done it in the past, but I haven't done it any time recently. And I think there's a lot of times where people are feeling the burden of their sin in an appropriate way. And it leads them to ask for the help of their, of their Christian family. And there are times when that makes me realize how I'm not really feeling the burden of my sin. I'm not appreciating the fact that Jesus took that away from me, that he lifted that burden off of me. And like, like you said, instead, I don't want to dwell, I don't want to mourn over this failure, and so I immediately jump to the reconciliation and mm-hmm. the joy on the other side of it, and in that process I kind of just forget what it is to feel sad about the fact that I'm disappointing my God, to feel anger at myself for my failure, to to be upset for the fact that it, my sins put Jesus on the cross. And there are times when I probably need to be more cognizant of that. I need to go ahead and be a little bit upset, because I need that extra motivation to say, and you know what, I'm not going to do that anymore. And I, I want some of that that righteous anger about my own failure. I want some time to to feel that burden to, to mourn over my failure and say, not again. You know, just talking about that contrast in the joy and mourning uh, and, and grace versus uh, mercy, or grace versus death and, and uh, um, condemnation. Thinking of Noah, I mean, can you imagine... Um, Having to, I mean, we, we, we get an idea that it's a hundred years or so that he spends in the process of preparing to build and building and, and actually the, uh, the, the flood coming and, 
Can you imagine not mourning during that time? How 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 brokenhearted you must be to see people that you love and know and you care about just not listening when you know the truth and the truth is it's coming the the storm is coming and and he's laying it out for them and i know it's ridiculous but still look the truth i mean he is god we didn't come from we didn't i mean we he built he made us he made us who we are and judgment is coming and and that's again he during that whole time i'm sure he's mourning but but like like we get in in hebrews for the joy set before him Jesus did what? He went to the cross, and he mourned. I can can you imagine? I was thinking about that the other day. Can you imagine being the savior of the world, knowing who you are, knowing you're the son of God, and living among these sinful, godless people? And how how I mean, I I can't imagine that he spent as much time among people that as he did. I mean he he spent much time in prayer because his heart was broken. All the time. I mean, I can't imagine his heart not being broken almost every single minute of every single day as he's interacting with people and saying, "Why don't you see what you're doing? Why don't you? Why don't you get it?" And yet, there was a joy set before him, and and he pursued that joy, even even in the process of just dealing with the mournful state of mankind. Well, I think about that. That reminded me of what what we're told about Lot is that it tormented his righteous soul to have to put up with the people of the city. Um, and, and it should, it should torment our soul. It should, it, both the sin that we see around us, it should break our hearts and our own sin should break our heart and death should break our heart. But one of the reasons I think we're, we're not brokenhearted is one, as we said earlier, that we jump right to the, 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 um, the joy that we have in Christ and these kind of things, but too often it's just because we're distracted. I mean, we just so distract ourselves that we we don't see what's going on. We entertain ourselves to death. You know, we we are we're so turn the radio on, turn the music on, put a movie on, watch a football game, watch a baseball game, and we are so entertained. And it's no wonder that the world wants to entertain entertain itself. I mean, they have to distract themselves because they don't have any joy. There is no hope for them. And so when they look around at the pain and the suffering and the turmoil that is life, and they say, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. You know, it's a chasing after the wind. And they realize the futile nature of life then they've got to distract themselves because they have no hope. They have no joy. There is nothing to uh, to joy to uh, you know make their heart rejoice. But for us, we do. We have that joy and that hope, and so we can look at the world for what it is, and and then our joy is even greater. And our 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 desire to help people and to repent ourselves is even greater. But when we join the world in distracting ourselves with all of these frivolous entertainments also often, and I'm just as guilty as anyone, well, then we don't, we don't realize the, the true state of ourselves and our world and, and what needs to be done, nor the joy that we have in Christ. Well, you know, I mean, there, it's, it's twofold. We, we need to be feeling the sorrow for the potential loss of our fellow man. You know, our sin has created a separation between us and God, and Jesus has then reconciled us through his death. And yet, by being reconciled to God uh, through Christ, that creates a separation between us and everyone else. Mm -hmm. 
And we can either be comfortable with that separation or we can change the discomfort from being, well, I don't want to be separated from God to now saying, I don't want these people to be separated from God. I don't want to be separated from them. I want to bring them along with me. Mm-hmm. And that has to be motivated out of, our, out of our love. But too often, we're perfectly content to be separated from the world. Uh, we might even enjoy the fact that we've now been separated from the world. And we, we almost look at, look at it as our calling to be separated from the world. And of course, naturally, we're not supposed to allow the world to influence us. But we, you know, we use words like the world, and what we really mean is these people that I see every day. Our neighbor. Our neighbor. Mm-hmm. These people that I know are not right with God, and yet am I motivated to try and bridge that separation by bringing them to God so that they are now righteous? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Very often I'm not motivated that way. You know, but, so we either have that sorrow for the world that motivates us to action, and then we also are supposed to have, like Paul says to the Corinthians, that godly sorrow that motivates us to righteousness ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he says, I'm glad you felt sorry for this. I'm glad you were upset at your failure, not because I wanted you to beat yourself up, because I wanted you to repent and change your way. There has to be a godly sorrow in our life that motivates us to action. And if it's a godly sorrow about our mistakes, that has to motivate us to repentance. And if we have a godly sorrow about the state of the world, that has to motivate us to spread the gospel. Mm-hmm. But too often, we're, discom- we're uncomfortable with the idea of sorrow. We're uncomfortable with being upset about the state of things. And so like you said, we just kind of like, well, I'm just going to try and create some noise here so that I'm not really cognizant of the fact that my neighbor is lost or this person that I uh, admire and work with is lost. Uh, this person who I watch on TV and I enjoy them and whatnot is a lost individual. You know, it's it's easy to sit back and and just ignore that mm-hmm. aspect of it. You know, I keep thinking back to uh, it's kind of maybe off the completely obscure and weird thought, but um, I think back to Ecclesiastes and a phrase that that uh, Solomon uses over and over is, and I kept my wisdom with me, which seems really weird in all that he's talking about, how he's pursuing all these things that are vanity, and that he keeps his wisdom with him. And at least how I understand that, it, it's more of a, as he's pursuing these things, he recognizes that they are vanity because his wisdom is with him. So he's able to analyze these things. Now, obviously, Solomon makes a lot of bad choices throughout his life, um, as many of us do, but... His are, are written down in uh, stone for us to examine, but uh, but the 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 thing that it, it keeps popping in my head is that we we examine everything that we see and everything that we do with with the spirit of God. We we examine it with the mourning that He would have for the people that that we meet, as if we ourselves are in the place of God and we look at these people and see how does God look at this person how does how does God how does God read this book if if he were to read this book what would God think of this book if if he were to watch this show what would he be thinking and how what would he be thinking about the people what would he be thinking about the subject 
we we've got to make ourselves. It makes me think of. I mean, if you haven't seen the movie um, uh, Prince of Egypt, it makes me think of the song um, uh, through Heaven's Eyes. Um, and how? But anyway, the uh, just the very idea that everything that we do, we are always examining it. Always examining it. It doesn't matter if it's fun. It doesn't matter if it's boring. It doesn't matter if it's work. It doesn't matter if it's what our friends said. It doesn't matter if it's what our spouse said. It doesn't matter if, it, if it's what we say. We should be examining everything that comes in because if we're not examining it, then it can Im- impact us. It can impact everything that we do. So many times we get this idea that it's like, well, I'm a mature person, and so when I watch this, it doesn't really impact me. It doesn't affect me because I'm I'm grown up and I'm an adult, and and I can I can uh, I can filter that out. But if I'm not really examining what's coming in and thinking about, okay, what what does God think of what I just saw? What what would He say if He saw that right now? Um, or or what kind of discussion would we have afterwards if we saw this? You know, because um, like when with our kids, sometimes I'm sure y'all do this too when. We watch something and you're like that's not appropriate. So what do you do? Well, so you talk to your kid and you say, "Hey, what what do you think of that?" And then they we have a discussion and then we say, "Well, what do God think of this?" And um, and that's kind of how we need to to think about everything is how would God look at this? And almost have that conversation with God in a sense is like how how would you look at this? Examine the scriptures. Examine what you're looking at. Examine everything. You know. I- I keep thinking the word that keeps coming to my mind is seriously that 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 not seriously, <laughs> seriously? like seriously, <laughs> seriously? Uh, no not that way um, but but I I would imagine that somebody listening to our conversation right now might say I mean you guys take the, everything so seriously why are you taking <laughs> t- taking things so seriously you know and I I mean because that's I, a good time I, to bust I, up laughing I think of, yeah I think about the times that somebody might might come forward. And and maybe they did something that to them they felt so humiliated that they did it, but somebody else looks at it and like, come on, you you gossiped and now you're going to come forward and you're you're crying about that and and they they might look at them. I've never heard somebody do this, but I can almost see it. it well, in my own mind, you know. Um, but but just pat them on the back and just say, you know, don't take it so seriously. You know, don't don't take this so so hard. Don't take it's it so such seriously. A big deal. Right. It's not a big deal. And and that. That's what we've got to realize. It is, it is serious. Deal. It is a big deal. And you think about all the times throughout the New Testament that that Christians are told, be sober, be sober-minded, think soberly about these things, keep your wits about you. But but we have become drunk, for lack of a better word, we've become drunk on entertainment, in in frivolous things where we're not sober. We're not thinking about things soberly, like James was saying. We're not looking at it as God would look at it. We're looking at it as the world would look at it. And of course, the world says, don't take this so seriously. It's not such a big deal. What is a big deal? All of it is a big deal. Heaven is a big deal. Hell is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Sin is a big deal. Death is a big deal. And, And we can try to write it off and say it's not uh, but that's how the world deals with this. They they balance out their their grief and sorrow with frivolous things. We balance out grief and sorrow with grace and joy and Jesus Christ and rejoicing in Him. Well, see when you when you find somebody who's upset about something, take for instance our children when something happens and they get very upset about it. We then start to empathize with them, and we get upset about the fact that they're upset. And our inclination is to say and do anything that will make them feel better. Mm-hmm. And so for our kids, when they're upset about something, 
And a lot of times our kids will get upset while well, they lost something or a toy broke or this or that and the other. We almost immediately try and explain to them why whatever happened shouldn't make them feel bad. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't even be prompting that emotional response. We try and say, it's no big deal. And instead, when it comes to spiritual things, and probably even in some of those cases, we shouldn't be trying to take away that feeling of sorrow. I mean, we've seen it when people come forward and they want a prayer, and the first thing we do when we get up and an elder or whoever is praying over them, we try and say, hey, listen, all of us deal with the same thing. Uh, I'm sure we've all made this mistake. So let's just say a prayer for everybody in this generic sense. And it's some way of trying to make them feel better, make them feel less on the spot for it. When the truth of the matter is they came forward out of godly sorrow and they didn't want a prayer for everybody struggling with this thing. They wanted a prayer for them struggling with this thing. And we should just try and and eliminate that feeling, that desire to pull the godly sorrow away from them and instead say, yes, you have been motivated by godly sorrow. That's a good thing. Now let's... Let's let that motivate us to repentance. Let's pray for you, for this thing. And if this thing is important to you, let's treat it as important. Mm-hmm. And, and the beauty of being a Christian is we don't have to try and remove the importance of the thing that makes us upset in order to make that feeling go away. Mm-hmm. What we can say is, you know what? This is a big deal. This is something worth being upset over. And you know what makes that feeling go away? when you rectify the situation, and here's how. We actually have a hope that we can strive for that makes us able to get over that mm-hmm. sorrow. You know, and maybe for our kids and broken toys and everything, there's not a way that we can teach that idea, but maybe there is. But especially when someone is being motivated by godly sorrow, let's, let's drop our tendency to try and just, well, I just want you to feel better, mm-hmm. and instead say, hey, let's grab a hold of that, that motivation, and let's go to repentance. Because you actually have put yourself in a position to take godly action. Let's go ahead and do that now. Mm-hmm. Instead of immediately trying to say, well, let's make you feel better. Mm-hmm. They don't need to feel better. They need to repent. And, you know, and it, it seems like we don't even truly even understand that way of thinking. Most of us, I don't think. Because anytime we we preach on rejoicing in the Lord, and, you know, a phrase I've been trying to get my boys to, and, and they reminded me that I had taught them this the other day, which excited me, but I, something I try to remind them of is the Lord is all we need. You know, and so when we're upset about something, we say we have God and God is all we need. Um, and so it's not to diminish whatever it is that we're sad about, you know, the the our baseball team lost or, you know, something <laughs> as frivolous as that, or um, somebody died. But we remind ourselves, this this hurts, this is painful, but we have God and God is all I need. But when we preach on that, for some reason, People have a tendency to think what you're saying is these other things don't really matter. You know, one passage that that we've talked about a lot, you know, off off the podcast is Habakkuk three, and in Habakkuk three, uh, you know, Habakkuk is saying if there is no if there's no food, there's no food in the field, there's no food on the tree, there are no there's no wild game, there's no livestock, then. It, in other words, I'm dying. We're starving as a people. We have absolutely nothing. That if we have the Lord. We will rejoice in the Lord. We will hope in the Lord. And we we have a tendency to read that and say, oh, yeah, well, that easy for you to say. Easy. No, it's not. No, yeah. more yeah. so than us. Um, it, it's not no big deal. I mean, I, 
I can't imagine being literally famished. Um, but but these people in a famine must remind themselves this is horrible and, and it is more painful physically and emotionally than anything we could possibly even imagine. But even in those moments, I have God and God is my portion. God is what I need and I will rejoice in him. And so we've got to stop diminishing the sorrow and the pain of loss um, and, and, and loss meaning our friends, our loved ones, but also loss of our perfection, loss of our pride. And when those things are taken from us, we, we need not to diminish that and say, well, Sam, that's no big deal. We all struggle with that. You know, yeah, we're all, quote unquote, quote unquote, we're all sinners. You know, don't worry about that. No, no, no. Thank you. What I try to tell people when they come forward is thank you for your courage. You know, I, I we all need that courage to admit I did this and it, is, it was horrible and it was wrong. But praise God, thanks be to God that he has given us salvation through Jesus Christ. And we diminish the cross because we diminish our, our pain and sorrow. Isn't it wonderful, though, that God has instilled in his worship plan for us ways to keep this in mind, ways mm-hmm. to remind us of these things? You know, when we're told to examine ourselves when it comes to the Lord's Supper, God has built in a reminder of the pain, the suffering, the sorrow. Jesus had emotional responses to these things that were physically happening to him, who above all of us would recognize that his physical self isn't as important as his spiritual self, but it still made a difference to him. But it didn't motivate him to incorrect action, it motivated him to correct action. And once again, an aspect of worship that we almost inevitably leave on the table is fasting. Mm Mm-hmm. What kind of a built-in reminder has God provided for us about how he is sufficient for us, how he is our portion, and yet many of us have never fasted our lives, certainly not for a spiritual reason. You know, we've, we've, we, we, almost, we almost get so caught up in the idea of, well, that's an asceticism, that's punishing mm-hmm. myself, and, and, and God doesn't want us to do that, to have completely removed any benefit from the fact that God built us to feel pain, he built us to feel emotions about these things, they can and do motivate godly action and righteousness if we will allow them to. Do we ever really think about how God values our life? I mean, we look at, you know, as Christians, we we look at a lot of things like abortion and, and things like that and how how. It seems like our culture just, and obviously, uh, not just seems like, but our culture doesn't value human life in a lot of ways. But, but do we see how God really values human life? I mean, to what extent does God value human life? If one man takes another man's life, what does God say should happen? God says that that man's life should be taken from him. It's not a matter of, um, I mean, my, my point is, is that God values human life. All of it. And maybe that's why we feel pain, because God wants us to understand that he actually, he gave us bodies, not just because he wanted to trap us in fleshly bodies that will torture us for, you know, 60 to 80, 100 years, um, but because he actually values life, that he actually values what we go through, and that that the pain is there 
the the problems that we deal with, the the difficulties of life are there to teach us uh, how much he values us and how much he loves us and how much he cares about us. Um, and so that we can actually see how much he values it. So if it hurts, maybe that's because God wants me to understand that he values me. If that makes any sense. I mean, it makes sense to me, but it may not make sense to anybody else. It's It strikes me uh, just at the moment that we're discussing something that the world, the secular world, almost understands on a fundamental level. Because there, there are entire industries around understanding our pain and our emotional suffering. And we go to great, tremendous lengths to try and deal with emotional pain and suffering. And we get people who get so caught up into it that they don't live their lives because they, they want to have this emotional suffering. It's almost a calling sign, you know, for, for themselves. It's, it's a, a fetish to actually have some problem with yourself. But then in the church, we sometimes completely disregard it. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're saved. You should no longer feel any of these things. Mm -hmm. And there are people in the church who struggle with emotional pain and mental suffering. And we, not only do we not say, here is godly action that can be taken on your behalf, we almost make them feel that they're wrong and sinful for even feeling these things mm -hmm. because Christians have to feel joy. You're, you've been saved. How, how dare you, you have these types of feelings and these types of emotions? And it's, it's, you know, we, we've, we've tried to distance ourselves so much from the world's reaction, from the secular reaction to these type of things, that we've also lost track of the godly reaction to these mm -hmm. things and recognizing that we, our bodies and our minds work the way they do at God's design. And the Bible has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And so let's apply that to even these things that we find unpleasant mm -hmm. instead of acting like they just don't exist. And when we read the Psalms, you know, and we don't sing the Psalms enough, we, we sing the, the, the pleasant ones, I suppose. Um, but when you read through the Psalms, I mean, they, they are cries for help. And, and even at times, have you forgotten me, God? Have you forgotten me? Do you see my suffering? Do you, do you know what my enemies are doing to me? Do you know how mistreated I am? Do you know how bad this hurts? And in the end, of course, it always comes back to a praise for God. Yes, God is my rock. God is my refuge. God is my shelter. He will deliver me. He is the deliverer. And we, we ought to worship that way. We ought to, we ought to sing. We ought to pray. God, do you, do you know how painful this cancer is? God, do you know how much it hurts that I've lost my loved one? God, do you know how tormented I am in my very soul? And, and yes, of course you do. Yes, Lord, you do. Yes, you are my rock. Yes, you are my savior. But I mean, we would almost criticize someone that prayed that way. We would criticize someone for praying as the psalmist does. You know, it's it's we sometimes mistake godly sorrow and grief for doubt. Mm, yeah, and well, if there's any semblance of doubt, well, then we can't have it. Instead of recognizing that a godly self-examination will be one that says, "Am I right with God? And what I, is what I'm doing right? God is is what you're doing just and fair to me? 
and you examine all of these things, and of course, through a godly examination, what are you going to find? You're going to find the truth about God. You're going to find how he cares for you, how his love is immeasurable, all the different things. You're going to be reminded of those things on a consistent basis. The Christian who ignores pain and ignores grief and never makes time for mourning and never examines himself is also... It's not, he's not going to find that, oh, well, I've lived without pain and grief. He's going to find that he's lived for a long time without a reminder of God's love, mm-hmm. without a reminder of God's comfort, of the fact that God gives us the peace that surpasses understanding. You can't understand those things. You can't comprehend, and you certainly won't be reminded of those things if you don't take time to feel godly sorrow. And then recognize, I mean, I mean, recognizing all these things, how mournful we should be, and the great joy that awaits us because of the gloom of, of this world. I mean, the world is not a happy place. This isn't the place that you want to be when, when life ends. This is not it. This is not where I want to be. And and in a lot of ways, that's what a lot of this points us to, is, is yes, this life is rough. Yes, this life is difficult, and, and this is the life that we have to live. But there's a life that is beyond this that awaits us, and, and we, we pursue that, recognizing today this isn't where I want to be. This is not it. This is not the final resting place of my soul. Maybe my body, but not my soul. If we found a way to so entertain ourselves and keep ourselves comfortable that we're no longer groaning in order to be clothed with with our heavenly bodies, if we're no longer desiring so badly that it hurts, the way you, when I think of groaning, I think of lifting a weight. You know, it's it's good, and you know that it's producing something good. Not that I ever lift them, but anyway, if I did, <laughs> I, you know, and you, I've seen it in the movies anyway. Yeah, hypothetically, <laughs> um, you know, and and. and and you groan under the weight of that, desiring what is better, desiring the relief at the end, but but knowing that it you must go through it. If we ever so relieve ourselves of that pain, well then we have we have gotten way too comfortable here in this life and in this body. We ought to long to be with the Lord. Paul longed to be with the Lord and said it was far better than this life. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he realized that it was fruitful labor in this body, and we ought to appreciate and glorify God in this life and use this mm-hmm. life for him, but we ought to be groaning for the next. Well, how, how much in, in almost every other aspect of our life do we just fundamentally understand and accept that? When I'm away from my children because I've had to travel for work and I'm away from my wife and I'm separated from my family— my love and my joy that I find in my family is represented in sorrow and grief. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel good to be separated from them, but it is a constant reminder of my love for them. I mean, if I was away from my family for an extended period of time and I find myself not feeling anything one way or the other about it, I would start to question my love. Mm -hmm. I would think that there was a serious problem with that. Why do we not feel that way with God? Why don't we feel that way with our Christian family? Why don't we recognize that God's love and our yearning for His love and His comfort can sometimes feel like grief and anguish in our lives? See, and I think that that's one thing, you know, and I I think our older brethren would tell us, well, Wes, when you get older, it's easier to long for the next life. You know, as this body wears out and, you know, as as it starts to hurt more and, and you want the next life. But I think that the place that I want to get to, the place I think of maturity, is that even before we get to the point where we don't have any other choice, you know, it's one thing to 
to to be dissatisfied with this life when you're poor or you're hurting or you're you know it it's worn out. It's another thing to be dissatisfied in it, even when it's enjoyable, even during the good times. And I think that's back to Philippians. You know, I think that's what Paul was getting at in chapter four. He said he learned the secret of having plenty and being in want. And I think even in those times of plenty, we've got to then, even then, rejoice in the Lord. And I think that's one reason fasting is an important discipline, because we're reminding ourselves, even when we have food to eat, that that we're not rejoicing in the food, we're rejoicing in the Lord. I don't want my yearning for God to be tied to the inevitability of death. Yes, yeah. I want it to be tied to love. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I want to be able to look at my life in the best of circumstances and say, but this is going to be nothing compared to God. Mm-hmm. And then look at my life in the worst of circumstances and take joy in the fact that this is nothing compared to God. Mm-hmm. You know, honestly, if we, <laughs> if our love for God is such that, well, I'll yearn for him as soon as I've accomplished more and my kids have grown up and this and that, you know, as soon as I've made the most out of this life, well, then I'll yearn for God. That's that's not right. It would be like right being off on a business trip, and and you're like, well, if I was at some shabby motel, you know, in the middle of nowhere, well, then I'd long for my family, and I'd want to be back home. But I'm on the beach, you know, and I've got a hammock out front, and you know, I've got the sand and beautiful a view, so I'm not really, you know, anxious to go home right now. It's like, no, 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 no. Even the best doesn't compare with family and home. And and if heaven is home, if God is our home, then we'll be longing for Him even during the best circumstances. A big thanks to all of our guests and to Cameron McElyer for his help in the production of this show. And thank you to all of our listeners. We hope this discussion inspires you to have these kinds of spiritual discussions with people in your life. If you have a question or a topic you'd like for us to discuss, please call and leave us a short voicemail at 707-238-2216. That's 707-238-2216. Remember, we love you, God loves you, and we hope you have a wonderful day.